is episode 47 of Off Script with Trish Glose. Intimate interviews and fun conversations with interesting people. In front of my microphone today is Stephen Saslow. Hello, Stephen Saslow. Hello, Trish. How are you? I am well. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, publisher of Mail Tribune. That's me. Um, and then Rosebud Media has come out of out of this since you since you have taken over the paper. Yes. Correct. Yes. Okay. How so? Rosebud is the idea basically was not to come to Medford and take over a newspaper and evolve it into a bigger newspaper. It was to basically take news and information, blend that with a television station, the one we're in right now, right. and be on-air, online, mobile, print, in events. Awesome. I love this idea. We're going to talk a lot about that. Um, you actually did bring me a newspaper today. I am Steve the paper boy. That's you are. Me. So here so now I'm gonna look through this a little bit and my fingers are gonna get that super fun, mm -hmm. inky feel that mm -hmm. you get from a newspaper. Do you do you read this every day online I do. Or, or physically like this? Both. Okay. Both. Um I miss these. I really do. I miss having them. We used to have a subscription. Uh, we have an online sus a subscription here at News Ten, but we used to get this every day in the newsroom and I miss having my coffee and opening this up like a big nerd in the newsroom. I know who to talk to. I think I can okay. restore that for you. I like that. Making things happen. I like it. All right, Stephen Saslow, where are you from originally? Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay, what was that like growing up there? Typical middle-class family. Philadelphia neighborhoods were wonderful in that you they were all row houses where I grew up. You mm. could literally disappear for the entire day be at a neighbor's house, they would feed you breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and no one would blink an eye <laughs> if you didn't come home to go to sleep at night. <laughs> and families sort of kind of rotated, right? You would go to one family's house, and then that kid would come to your house. and All the time. All How the time. fun. Yes. How fun. The driveway was common ground for everybody, everything but cars. And we had wall ball, we had baseball, we had football, we had sledding in the winter. Mm -hmm, I bet. Different winter than here. Right. Oh, yes. Very much so. Um, Philadelphia, fairly big city at this point when you were a little kid. Still a big city, but right. manageable. Much different than New York, where I went to work in and spent the majority of my time. But as the fourth largest city, it was always a manageable town. Mm. And it was always fun. I lived in the, we, we sort of migrated like different families did, inner city, the developments, and then out onto, out to the suburbs. Uh, but it was always manageable, no more than a 30-minute commute to Center City. Meaning it was fairly easy to get around and yes. function in. Easy, safe. The only times mm. that were difficult were during the Frank Rizzo years when he was chief of police. Okay. That's when I got my ACLU card. Oh, nice. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yes. Really? I yeah. mean, how, how did that come about? It came about when Frank Rizzo basically said to people publicly, he said, if somebody breaks into your home... He said, shoot them, pull them in the house, and then put a bullet in the ceiling. And when the police arrive, tell them, look, I fired a warning shot. Whoa. Yes. That wow. was before he became mayor. But there was law and order in Philadelphia, but you just had to be very careful. Before Chief Rizzo. Well, he was Chief Rizzo. Okay. Then he became Mayor Rizzo. Then he became mayor. Right. Okay. Um, and so what did your parents do? My dad was an accountant, certified public accountant. Uh, my mom was a homemaker. She nice. was with us all the time. So that's why I say we had the typical sort of uh, suburban, mm -hmm. big city, migrating from the city to the suburbs. I love that. Family. Uh, you grew up with siblings? I did. I have one sister who's 
uh, five years younger than I am. Okay. She was in the television business for many, many years. Interesting. Yes, uh, most notably at KPIX, some five or 600 miles south of here in mm -hmm. San Francisco, mm -hmm. and uh, continues to do all kinds of film and documentaries. Oh, cool. Like, so she helps produce them and write them? She produces them. If you saw the um, Menendez Brothers uh, special on A&E, yes. that was Nancy Saslow and her partner, Carolyn Carmine. Wow, go Nancy. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah, she also many years ago did the AIDS Lifeline Project, mm. if you remember that. Mm -hmm. um, gathered together all kinds of personalities to basically say, uh, AIDS is not something to shun away from. Right. And so I admire her for that. I still do today. Instead, it's something to shine a light upon. Yes, and it took some 30 some odd years for I know, where we are today. Where we are today, I know, it's very much so. Pretty wild. Um, so you are the oldest. I'm the oldest. That explains a lot. Mm. <laughs> so what kind of kid were you in school, in high school? I think uh, the same kid I am now. Really? I, I've not, yeah. Same you child. Grown up? Haven't grown up at all. Okay. Very quiet, very to myself. My mother used to tell me as when I was a baby, I was very good at uh, entertaining myself, mm. uh, very good at puzzles, mm. very good at things that I could do by myself, kind of a loner. Yeah. So the sports that I got into were not team sports. They were one, one-on-one -on -one type sports. Gotcha. Um, college? College was interesting because college was a breakout. That's where I really found what I thought I wanted to do, and it took off from there, and that was radio. Radio. Yes. Yeah, in fact, before we were doing a little mic check before we got started here, and you gave you gave me a nice little commercial for Gillette. I did. That was nice. That was the intro from In Concert that Don Kirshner produced at our school. Okay. And years later, I became friends with Don. Mm -hmm. Actually, he's passed away, mm -hmm. but that was the, the, the intros. I got to do some of them, you know, In Concert, brought to you by Gillette. And have a Pepsi day. Nice. So, I like it. I, lo I love time ago. radio voices. Um, so when you got into college then, was radio something you were pursuing at that point? I purposely went to Hofstra because I knew I would be very close to New York City. Mm -hmm. They had a very good uh, radio and television department. And it's something I pursued. Strangely enough, the thing that I wanted to do was very a very narrow part of radio. I kind of latched on to the idea of radio syndication. Um, if you remember hearing about shows, uh, King Biscuit Flower Hour, uh, well, these are older. You, 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 you may remember, you were much younger than I am, so, but... Just you, a little bit. Yeah, just, well, no, a lot of it. Um, <laughs> a lot of it. But, but uh, King Biscuit Flower Hour, Bob Meyerowitz, who had that show, a fellow named Jim Brown, who did a little feature called Earth News, uh, Norm Pattitz, who became, was the founder of Westwood One. These were the guys that were just a little bit ahead of me, so I was either the first or second generation of syndicators. For mm. some reason, I got very, very enamored with the idea of putting a show out and having that show be broadcast around the United States, usually at the same time Yeah. with syndication. Right. Um, this is where I met up with a gentleman named Lee Abrams. Lee mm -hmm. basically invented what is rock radio, the album-oriented rock format, and make a long story short, where Lee figured out what to program, I figured out from Lee what 
things that we could provide to radio stations that would supplement that, and that was the beginning it was the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. Yeah. You know, when I started journalism school, the very first class was a radio class. It had nothing to do with being on TV. My professor said, you need to learn how to tell a story without pictures. Maybe you sound, but that's how, um, for him at least, that's how journalism began. It began with radio and, and telling a story through just your words. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of, radio is kind of where it all began. Not kind of, it is. It's radio is television without pictures. Exactly. And, and now that we're in the 21st century where we are multi-platform, sometimes telling that story is the key to it because we as a society, I describe this as we become four-year-olds. We want, we want what we want when we want it, mm -hmm. and we want it on every platform out there or we'll hold our breath till we turn blue. I want a golden goose now. Mm -hmm. Yes. Got to have it now. Exactly. Not right. waiting. No, not going to wait for it. So what comes after college then? What path do you take? Went into business. Actually, I should finish with college a little bit because this teed up where I went. Okay. So here I am part of the team that's running the college radio station. And to one year, this is in the early 70s, they cut our, budge our budget in half. And we decided the way to supplement that income was we were going to go out to public service groups and also businesses in the area and offer them our services to write and produce radio commercials. Okay. And we did. And within a few months, we had not only uh, recovered that deficit, but we went past it. So the auditors came in and said, where did you get this money? And we tell them this wonderful story of how we go out there and We've been producing things and people have been donating and nobody took a dollar out, but it all went in. And they came back and they said, sorry, you cannot run a business under the auspices of a university. Oh, okay. So we were stuck with the business because people kept coming back to us and saying, we don't care. Just we love the creative that you did. Would you keep doing it? That was my intro into the major agencies into New York. Mm -hmm. And from that, where I understood not only the creative process, but understood how to go into the buying group and say, gee, if I wanted to put a show together and syndicate it around the United States, would you sponsor this? JVC was one of our first sponsors. Maxell was one of our first sponsors because we did work for them. Mm -hmm. That light bulb went off for you. The light bulb went off and it kept going. Okay. And from there, I went on to build two or three shows, which eventually became part of NBC, the Source Network. Wow. Um, went and again with Lee Abrams and a team of people started what was the first news and information radio network that was specifically designed to go with rock radio. Mm -hmm. That was interesting to do because everybody had said, you, people, people don't care, news is news. And the fact that it sounds like it belongs doesn't matter. Well, it was a tremendous success. Yeah. You know, going back to the, the radio voice, what we listened to was ABC, which was the largest of the networks at the time. And so no matter what they did, they had different formats, ABC Rock Network, ABC Entertainment, ABC Information. And it was always a Bob Hart, News on the Hour for the ABC Information Network. That doesn't exactly work with the cool kind of sound of rock radio, the <laughs> format of the 70s. Yeah. So we actually made a big joke out of that and played some of the commercials that just would rock your world when you listen to them in the context of the format 
I went back to those advertisers and said, we want you to listen to your commercials as they're heard within the format, like mm -hmm. Trident, chew on this. Like, wait a minute, that just doesn't fit right. into it's rock radio. Stuck out like a sore thumb. It did. So that was a great experience to work for a big company. Or made Still, the people that are there are still my friends today. Awesome. Someone once told me um, when, I, when I started, write all of the people's names down. This is when you actually kept an address book. Mm -hmm. Write their names down in ink and put their phone numbers down in pencil because the people that you meet will probably be your friends and business acquaintances for your entire career. And nothing could be more true than that statement. I like that. That's a that's a really that's a good piece of advice right there. Yeah, it was a good piece of advice. Okay, so this was all in New York City. This is New York City. This is all around the country. Mm -hmm. This is um, this is working for NBC and eventually uh, they had said to me, geez, you've done a very good job with this. Maybe we can expand your role. Uh, and it became a much larger role. And then okay. from there, went to Group W Satellite, mm -hmm. which started, they were going to be the major player in cable. And they needed somebody who knew media, but okay. also knew music, because here came the Nashville Network. Yeah. Nashville Network, Disney Channel, Home Team Sports, and satellite news channel if you remember that for two seconds mm -hmm. so i'll tell a little off-color story here you Please, can edit it. i love off-color oh, stories this is a great story this is a ted turner story and yes. i've got a bunch of them so ted turner is all in arms because here group w is going to start satellite news channel and it starts it goes up and we are announcing this at the houston cable show and i am one of the people in charge of putting this event together and so here is Harlan Rosenzweig, the guy that runs the division, he has since passed away, doing the announcement at the podium and the doors come flying open to this big amphitheater and it's Ted Turner mm -hmm. and at the top of his lungs say, anybody that goes to work for this company is gonna work for a second rate horse <laughs> news network. <laughs> yeah, so I still have, actually I'll get you one, blue t-shirts that say I work for a second rate horse News network. <laughs> yes. We sold it some eight weeks later to him, and that was the end of news on cable. But the things that survived, Nashville Network, mm -hmm. uh, Home Team Sports, basically became the underpinnings for all of the regional networks. It was quite uh, an experience for me to work with people like that. Again, you mm -hmm. fill in people that you meet, and they're still, their names are in ink, and they're still around. Did that, it seems like that happened a lot where this would, you know, this cable company maybe would, would rise up and then another company would eat it up and it would become part of them. And it just sort of continued for a long time. Was that, is that the case? Is that well, still, still the case? Well, it's still the case. Still you, the case. When, when you have consolidation, which you saw happen in radio, mm -hmm. uh, and you have acquisition of either ancillary uh, brands or avenues, that still goes on today. Are some of them good? Yeah, are some of them bad? A good example is a little bit further down the road, I started my own company. We ended up merging or selling it to Bob Sillerman, SFX. Okay. All right, so SFX now trades its radio stations, its radio properties for concert promoters. The idea of the company was to 
acquire and roll up all of the concert promoters in the United States and the world. It mm -hmm. became the biggest concert promotion company in the world. My point in saying that is, is um, I think it was one thing for SFX and others to sell their radio stations to what was Clear Channel, now iHeart. It's another thing for them to have then sold to now the largest radio holding company, the largest uh, concert company in the world. If the history books, if I went back and looked at the history books, might not have been such a bad idea to roll up radio. It was a terrible idea to go and sell to the same people that rolled up radio concerts. It almost destroyed the industry. It's now called Live Nation. It's on its own. A fellow yeah. named Michael Rapino runs that, and they do a fabulous job. But together, these two entities couldn't get out of their own way. Mm -hmm. The reason was nobody thought through. If you went to a radio operator any town in the United States and said to them, who do you hate the most in your city? The number one answer is the concert promoter. Mm -hmm. Why? They make all the money, they get all the acts, and they hold us up yeah. to have access to them. Now you go to the concert promoter and you say, who do you hate the most? It's the radio station. They get to play all this music for free and mm -hmm. they charge us to do. So it was oil and water. So you had, that's one of the reasons why it didn't work. Okay. You're also sort of an idea guy because you came up with, I mean, well, you've come up with a lot of great ideas, but um, you started a company mm -hmm. after, um, and this came after. NBC. Okay. After NBC, um, I when actually Norm Paddits bought NBC and Norm, now Norm and I are very good friends, mm -hmm. but uh, his ideology of radio and mine were diametrically opposed. <laughs> Not that one was right or wrong, it's just a different point of view. Um, started my own company, built that, and in the middle of that, partnered with what was MCI and started the first interactive uh, service to listen to and buy music online. It was 1-800-MUSIC-NOW. Okay. And we did it, you could call up on the phone and you could listen and you could buy. It was the precursor that we were waiting for in preparation for this thing called the internet. Mm-hmm. And so there when were a was lot this, of ideas. Steven? This is 1994, 95. I might be off a year or two. Mm -hmm. But it was, um, it was quite revolutionary. And it had different, it had different uh, legs to it. 1-800-BOOKS-NOW, all different types of things we wanted to sell. Okay. So this is, a, again, a very, very interesting opportunity to go back. And this was an advertiser. MCI was one of our biggest advertisers and clients. Mm -hmm. And I used to say to them, we well, have AT&T. They were the technology company, Bell Labs. But MCI, they were the warm and fuzzy friends and family. Mm -hmm. Went to them, and they were starting to describe to us that they realized that telephony, the idea of just selling uh, bandwidth or phone, uh, phone service was a pennies business. It was becoming cheaper and cheaper and cheaper as more people entered the marketplace. They wanted things of substance. So I start to tell them this idea. It existed in my basement. That we, <laughs> yeah, it was in my basement that I did. We were just kind of goofing around with it, my partner, uh, and uh, a fellow by the name of Tim Price, who was president of MCI at the time, said, that's a great idea. What, do you, what would this cost to actually launch? And I knew the number. I said about $80 million. 
He said, do you think you could come down to Virginia in a week or two and show them this? Called my partner up and I said, you're going to have to sit down and listen to this. This guy actually wants to invest in this thing. It originally was called 1-800-MY-MUSIC mm -hmm. and through the power of corporate research it became. 1-800-MUSIC-NOW. Music now. now. Yeah. It's so, I mean, and I know you have a brain for this. Just listening to you, it's so overwhelming to me. The idea of all of these business ventures that you've been in and, and you have this idea and someone wants to invest 80, I mean, 80, they invested $80 million to they help get this. invested $80 million to get wow. this thing off the ground. That's pretty yeah. amazing. As if it was a rounding error. And I was like, okay, <laughs> let, it, let it rip. How long did 1-800-MUSIC-NOW last? It lasted until, it, it went up, it was very successful. Mm -hmm. It lasted until MCI put themselves up for sale okay. and took any business unit that had deficit spending or financing on the books. And then it got sold off, and I don't know where it went. Okay. We didn't take it back, but it was a... It was a very, very fun, good time to learn how people um, interact with music. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've said publicly about that is a lot of people talk about radio and the days of payola in the past. Mm -hmm. And it became painfully obvious that with or without payola, if it existed or didn't exist, you could pay to get a piece of music on the air, but what was interesting with 1-800-MUSIC-NOW is I could get it on the air one way or another, but I can't make you, I can't twist your arm to buy it. So unless it was a hit anyway, the whole idea of this false layer of uh, what might have existed between promotion people and on-air people really didn't matter mm -hmm. because buying that ticket Buying that particular song or album was something they could not get in the middle of. They could only get exposure. Right. And the way we get music now, if you think about all the different avenues and ways that we get music now, it's insane to think about how we, how we get our music today. It is. Today. Um, one of the ventures that I did afterwards, and this is another, to me it's an interesting story, Verence. Verence was a watermarking company. Okay. And Verence had an audio watermark. And the whole idea of mm -hmm. Verence when it started was that this would be the savior of the, of the, um, the music industry. That if you just watermarked, embedded this code or this watermark into your songs, that they would protect you. Anything that has audio in or out, you can rip. But bringing it back together to so that you can actually listen to it mm -hmm. is what this watermark did. So we went with this wonderful watermark. It was brought on by Bear Stearns to run that company, not only for that end of it, but also for the media side. We went with a group of notables to Apple. Mm. Uh, we we're sitting with the hierarchy at Apple, and Apple basically said to us, um, this is a great technology and an idea, but we just signed a deal with Universal, which is about two-thirds of any format or any type of music, to put out that music for sale on this new thing called iTunes <laughs> without any DRM, without any digital rights management or protection. And I said, do you understand what you're doing? They said, oh, yeah, it's so cheap, people will buy it. I said, no, why buy it when you can steal it? 
Uh -huh. And thus came the D Napster and the demise uh -huh. of the music industry. We walked out of that meeting and uh, I closed that division <laughs> at the exit of that meeting because there, if Universal had signed on to this, there was just never going to be a marketplace for that product. However, right. the smarter people in the world, which were the filmed entertainment business, and there's a group called AACS, don't ask me what it stands for, okay, but I won't. It's, it's the combination of the consumer electronics and the filmed entertainment video business. They saw the benefit of putting this watermark in every piece of entertainment and it actually worked. That's why for a while you didn't see things out on DVDs. You hmm. didn't see things going to the next generation. So we went to them and said, if there's one thing that we could do for you with this watermark, what would it be? This is me sitting down. I don't know a thing about filmed entertainment. Mm -hmm. And they said, if you can stop somebody from recording one of our movies at a Regal Cinema, and it's on 42nd Street the next day, that's the one thing that we want. Well, I said, I can't do that. But what we can do, if you'll work with us, is we can put a chip into every player into every device, Blu-ray, DVDs, yeah. it's there now. So wow. if you get a theatrical release, which is what that is up on a big screen in a movie theater, and it records it, what it sees is, wait a minute, I'm not authorized to play this. Interesting. I wanted to take it a step further and say to them, guys, here's a selling opportunity. You, you, you could actually put something in that says, this copy isn't authorized, but dial into this number and we'll authorize this copy. They didn't want to do it. <laughs> they didn't want to do it. I would not be in Medford today if that happened. <laughs> no? No. Where would Probably you be? Retired somewhere. <laughs> somewhere on a beach, somewhere. Virgin Gorda. Having a daiquiri of some sort. Something like, like that, yes. Okay, so how did you get to Oregon? I got to Oregon, Medford specifically, mm -hmm because the idea of putting a newspaper, a new generation or a 21st century news and information channel and a television station together really took being in a market that one was a standalone. Medford is here. There are no other cities close, really close by. Right. It's not like Princeton, New Jersey, where you're either from New York or Philadelphia. You go one way or the other. So that's a tween, as we call okay. it. Okay. Or gotcha. West Palm Beach. Okay. All right. Or Baltimore. These were newspapers that were for sale. And I said, I don't think that's going to work. Number two, this is a great area. People are moving here. Mm -hmm. They're coming from Southern California. They're coming from the East Coast. Demographically, we are evenly split. And there is a need, and you can, in a controlled environment, start to produce from the ground up a, a new generation of news and information. It's not taking what we do as a newspaper and regurgitating that. It's not taking what you do, which you do very, very well. Thank you. And putting it onto the Internet. Mm -hmm. It's writing to that next generation who would not watch a television cast or who would not read mm -hmm. a newspaper. And I'll tell you the little story that sort of brings it to a point. Okay. Media as we know it right now was developed and controlled pretty much by baby boomers, me. Mm -hmm. What defined our lives was the Vietnam War. You were either for it or against it. Mm -hmm. And we were, wow, did we love to argue that. Yes, you, big time. Big time. It wasn't Woodstock. 
It was the Vietnam War. Thus, things like Rush, Hannity, et cetera, you throw that red meat out there, we got on both sides of that, and axe murderers mm -hmm. worked really well. Go a few years forward, 50 and under, or what I call the new mainstream, 18 to 44-year-olds mm -hmm. that defies Nielsen, but it's 18 to 44-year-olds. One, they don't believe media, but number two, what they want is a different style of presentation. Put the facts out there, write it in a way where I can consume it, think about it, and let me make a decision. Mm -hmm. That's different, and that is what I believe KTVL and the Mail Tribune are going to do together with Rosebud. Mm -hmm. You said something before holding up the newspaper, I really miss having this in my hands. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I want to get it to you is, one, you don't have it. But number two, pretty soon we will probably stop printing a newspaper. Right. And the reason for that is it's cost prohibitive. Mm -hmm. The costs have gone up 25%. The newspapers have gone down. If you look at what other newspapers are doing, they've gone to digital, but they've done it in a way of first completely destroying, just gutting their news department. We yeah. didn't. Yeah. We fortified it. We made it larger. And we did that in preparation, not to say here's a bigger, better newspaper, but to be able to do these kinds of things. Yes, because this going away, I mean, across the country is inevitable. Like you said, it's just, it's too expensive. And the trend is that people aren't reading papers like this anymore not reading papers but you have two one is the expense number two is the people that are reading a paper or that are watching a television station for the most part mm -hmm. are 65 plus mm -hmm. and they skew female mm -hmm. so how do you take that same talent how do you take that same it's journalism mm -hmm. i don't care whether it's print journalism television journalism whatever it's the platform change the platform and you have the ability to put it, to reach that next generation. Right. I think we can accomplish that here. I agree. I think we have to evolve. And it's it's hard for, I think, the old school crotchety journalists that, you know, this is what I've been doing for 20 years and this is what I'm going to continue to do. But if we don't move along with what everybody else wants, we're going to be left behind in the dust. That's correct. And, and so that's not fun. That's not fun. And I don't think that's going to happen. So I think the other thing is Medford, is a test ground for a lot of national advertisers. I won't go into who they are, but that's where I started and that's what I know. This is the first time I've ever really done anything local. So what I went back and did was go to some of these advertisers and say, if I reach critical mass, this is the experiment that we're going to do. Okay. If I get critical mass, will you do an experiment with us that basically takes your ad and puts it onto digital video. Hmm. So the idea of Rosebud will be you can watch it, you can read it, but you can also hear it. Mm -hmm. On my new Chevrolet, if I'm an idiot, I can watch a full-length movie. So I don't want to do that. Right. But I want to be able to, just like a podcast or just like sure. anything else, I want to be able to have that ability to just what I said before, we want what we want, when we want it, on all mediums. Now. Now, on mm -hmm. it right now. Mm -hmm. And to be able to update it. But also, the beauty of this is you take your newsroom and you take the Mail Tribune's newsroom. You have credibility there. 
that credibility doesn't change because you've migrated or added other platforms. Right. It makes it more accessible. Agreed. Absolutely. Was the idea for you to buy a local paper and connect with a TV station, or was it just the paper first? It was always to do it with a television station. This happened through a series of conversations in uh, Baltimore mm -hmm. with senior management at Sinclair about, mm -hmm. geez, if I went and bought a newspaper, would you experiment with me? Would you do something where we could, in some way, shape, or form, on an arm's length basis, blend the two together and try to find that next generation of what news and information would be? So you look at both businesses and you look at sources that show, that project, pardon me, the the growth or decline, and both broadcast TV on a local basis and newspapers show a decline. Mm -hmm. I believe that this solves that problem. Mm -hmm. We're on to something here. Yes. Um, this has rarely been done in, in the country as far as a TV station and a newspaper in the same city coming together as a partnership. I, I mean, I want to say it's only been done a handful of times in the past. That's correct. Okay. Um, you, you see it in Philadelphia. Cox Broadcasting or Cox Media has done it, and they've been very kind to basically say, Steve, it's a great idea. We admire you. Here, here are the mistakes that we have made. Don't fall into the booby trap. That is nice. Yes, well, they were very nice. One of them was you, when I first got here, you noticed how slowly we have put both teams together, mm -hmm. were both Chad Hypes and Kathy Noah, Chad being the news director, Kathy being the editor, mm -hmm. really spent the time and a lot of considered thought as to how to blend people. It was not, okay, we're putting two teams together, that would have been uh, yeah, it would have been rolling a grenade. Into Not the ready, set, go. It's baby. It was baby steps. It still is baby steps. Oh, I, yeah. I feel like yes. Yeah, it's, it's baby steps. It's trying to not revert back to. It's not taking the what as I say with TV. It's not, you can't put that person out there with the microphone in front of them. Mm -hmm. You can't also do the investigative kind of reporting that a newspaper does. It's a blend. Exactly. And so when we talk about Rosebud and what that's going to be, we say three things. We say eye, ear, brain. Eye and that everything that we're doing is storytelling and it has to be graphically pleasing. It's a mini movie. Ear, it's got to have sound. And it's not what we call needle drop. It's not the stupid music that everybody, yeah, that's what it is. The stuff that's pre-produced that just yeah. like, I don't know what that is. Yeah, it's good sound. Good sound. Yeah. And then brain, it's got to be smart. Mm -hmm. Not smart like PBS, but smart like Apple. Apple smart. Like mm -hmm. this is cool, hip, and I believe it. Right. Well, I think um, I was reading somewhere that you know journalism is changing and it's becoming more of these investigative like long form interviews with podcasts even, kind of putting it all out there for the viewer or the listener, uncut, here's what they asked, here's what they said, and then let the viewer or the reader decide for themselves, like sort of the future of journalism. Correct. Yeah, which that, is exciting to me. It's very exciting. It, it, what was very interesting and what still is interesting 
nobody from your corporate and nobody we don't have a corporate it's just it's me. you yeah. <laughs> it's just nobody you. walks down to the newsroom on your side mm-hmm. or on the mail tribune side and says it's got to be to the left or to the right you do what you do mm-hmm. and it's independent most people don't understand that they don't right. understand that about sinclair they definitely don't understand it when i've gone out uh, a year and a half ago and started to talk about the fact that we are going to we are going to be transparent and we are going to put the whole story out there. I hate the description of fair and balanced. Same here. It's like, what's that's boring. Yes. Just tell the whole story. Yeah, what, does that even, what does that even mean, fair and balanced? I mean, I think that should just be, well, fairness should just be a part of every journalist, I don't know, personality. I mean, that should be the for, at the forefront of how we tell stories. Yes. We shouldn't have to say it. (laughs) Don't put your bias in there. Exactly. Right? It does not have to have the, it's all adjectives in my, in my mind. This is what I say to the newsroom. It's the adjectives. If I see something like it's a Trump sponsored, no, that's your bias. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. It still doesn't work because when I go out and people will look at an article, they'll say, but I want you to take my side. And I said, wait a minute. Right. I just explained to you that we're not going to do that. We're trying to move away from that. Right. Again, letting the viewer, the reader decide. That's correct. Yes. Let them decide. That means they have to watch. It means they have to think. Uh-huh. So that's why the eye, ear, brain. Yeah. It's got to be fun to look at. It's got to sound good and it's got to be smart. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not always going to be fun to watch or read because the truths maybe go against what you really think. And so that's going to be the hard part. But again, I feel like I agree with you. Transparency is number one. It has to be. Yes. Okay. Um, we're moving in. KTVL's moving in. Yes, we actually have. <laughs> are we, you ready? Uh, we're, 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 yes, we are very ready. Okay. We got our permits from the city. Thank you, Medford. Yes. And this, I have been waiting Kingsley Kelly has been waiting, everybody, Mm -hmm. over. This is a year delayed for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. The new website and digital tools we hope will be out by the summertime. Very advanced, very interactive, very video first. Yeah. Uh, This is what I came here for. Well, I met you in Kingsley Kelly's office. I want to say it was maybe summer, fall of 2017. Summer. Okay. Um, Early and, summer. And you were sort of talking about this, and it was so maybe above my head. I'm going, wait, what is he talking about? This sounds really exciting. I don't think it's ever going to happen. But I was super excited about it. And you said, I remember, anytime something like this that is very exciting and you want to get ahead of yourself, or even if you're going pretty slow, slow down. So if you're taking it one step at, at a time, slow down. Even mm-hmm. slow down from that. Because... It's one of those things where it's just not going to happen overnight, and it has to come at a pace that's comfortable for everybody. One of the benefits of the delay has been we as operations have gotten to know each other Mm -hmm. and things that when Kingsley and I met a year ago, we just said, let's just put everybody together. The only thing that we saw was the upside of a combined very strong sales department. Now we really understand because Kathy and Chad and everyone sort of says, I see how this will will work together. Right. You're on the air and you will bring in some of our reporters as, I'll call them experts yes. in a certain field. 
And that works very well from an investigative point of view. Two sides of this mm -hmm. really bolster something that nobody in this valley so we'll agree. And I just want to hit on, because we're going to get, talk about other fun things, not all work stuff. Um, you, you touched on this. You know, I, I can't do what Kaylee Tournay and Vicki Aldous do um, or Mark Freeman when it comes to writing a, a big investigative piece. And I'm not saying that they can't do what I do, but we're good. You know, Brian and all the reporters here, we're very good at that on air, getting the story for television. And... The reporters at the Mail Tribune are excellent when it comes to those investigative, you know, pieces. And so I think bringing our strengths together, mm -hmm. that's what's going to make the huge difference and yes. make us stand out. Yes. That's so exciting, Stephen Saslow. Yes. And weather. And weather. Watches, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, there should be no reason with all the resources here that we don't have a first alert safety net kind of system mm -hmm. that works both ways, same thing. Exactly. You can put something out, hailstorm or event, severe or significant weather is happening. We go live in 15 minutes on KTVL. What people don't understand is these things, right. cell phones, everyone, Yes. they go out. That's the first thing that goes out. But yeah. your, your electricity, your television signal, et cetera, that may be there, mm -hmm. as well as a phone that's plugged into the wall. Yes, very exciting. Um, let's move on a little bit. Uh, you're a big fan of cars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> big fan. I am. Okay. Motorcycles, too. Motorcycles, too. Um, all, all car, what kind of cars just really get your motor running for lack of a, that's really cheesy, but. Um, I was a big collector of Porsche cars. Really? Yes. And a very big collector of motorcycles, antique Harley Davidsons for the most part. Okay. And I rebuilt them. When I, I tried retiring 20 some years ago, <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> but I met a couple of guys in Provo, Utah. Mm -hmm. I was in Park City. I thought I was going to go ski for the rest of my life. The first year I skied 120 days straight. Wow. Yes. The second year I skied 120 days straight. But I got three very bad habits from being in Park City skiing. Okay. Number one, I started to cook my own lunch, and I cannot cook. Number two, I became a fan of and watched One Life to Live every day. <laughs> yes. yes, I did at two o'clock. And number three, I started to clip coupons oh. out of the Park City record, and I would go to the Albertsons and matching those things up, the best deals. And a little voice came one day and said, Pal, you were not made to wake up every day and say, now what? You better find a job. Mm. So I went back to work. Okay. All right. But I got to rebuild motorcycles, got to uh, collect some very, very nice Porsches. Now I'm into collecting Saabs. Saabs? Yes. Love my Saabs. They're yeah. great. I have two of them out here, one back in Pennsylvania. And uh, I've been flying. Anything mm -hmm. with a motor. Okay. I've been intrigued with. So I've been a pilot for... 20-some years. Fantastic. Yeah. Do you have a plane? I do. Nice. Yeah. What kind of plane? The one that's here uh, full-time is a P-Baron. It's a pressurized uh, twin. It goes high, it goes fast. Nice. The dogs fly with me as well. Okay. Speaking of uh, puppy dogs, well, first, what kind of car do you drive now? Um, I drive a Chevrolet Corvette. Nice. Yes. You love that car. I like it. You like it? Yeah. Okay. It's different. Well, do you, um, 
Jerry Seinfeld's uh, comedian comedians in cars getting coffee. Are yes. You, do you do you watch that? Uh, not really, but I see okay. what he has. A different car every single episode. Yeah. He's into just collecting because he can. Right. The same with Leno. Right. They just collect anything and everything. I got enamored with Porsches back in college. Mm-hmm. The first car that I, first Porsche I had was a 1971 911E, which I loved. And it just went from there. Nice. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, some of the cars he drives are incredible to me, especially the you know, the 80s, early 80s Volvos, which I'm a huge fan of because they're just so boxy and clunky, but just curious if you were a fan of that show. Um, Doggies. So you walked in to do this podcast and we started talking about Samson, my Connie Corso, and you said you have a Connie Corso. I do. Enzo. Enzo. Yeah. Tell me the story about Enzo. Oh, Enzo. Enzo... When I moved back to Pennsylvania, I had, I've always had Rottweilers almost mm-hmm. my entire life. Mm. A second set of Rottweilers, one of the brothers died. They were always named after uh, musicians that passed away. Oh, I lo- okay. Jews name after the dead. So this was Eddie and Otis. Otis Renning. Love it. Eddie Kendricks. Love it. Eddie is alive. Eddie comes back with me and he's alone. I adopted a Rottweiler named Diesel and became friendly with the uh, the rescue. And they knew that I wanted a kind of Corso. Mm-hmm. And one came available, a guy was going to put him down. And they called and they said, this man is out of his mind. He wants money or he's just going to destroy this beautiful animal. Which was like two years old? No, 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 he was eight weeks old. Oh my god! He gosh. was the teeniest little thing in the world. I mean, he was teeny, His, he was all head. But How can the, you euthanize a puppy? You, 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 I don't know. But mm. I just gave this guy the cash, told him to get out of here, don't ever come back, called the breeder and said, hi, I have one of your puppies and you need to be much more careful. And uh, Enzo has been part of the family. I love it. Yes. And Enzo's now two. Enzo is now two years old. Okay. And so we were talking, you said Enzo's dad uh, was it Westminster? I think it's his dad. Yeah, is at Westminster. It's either a dad or the brother. Okay. I have to go back and look. Well, I think, well, I know Samson and Enzo are related somehow. We're going to put them together and they'll figure it out. They'll <laughs> they know their family know. tree, of course. Yeah. I, I love Do it. Do you remember Aunt? Yeah. 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 Anything, anything ringing a bell here? And um, just like Enzo, Samson is very much in your face. He wants to, he wants to be sitting he, on you. He not only on me, but when he came home for a period of time, Enzo, Enzo still sleeps right next to me. Mm-hmm. And for a period of time, he would paw, and you'd have to lift the covers up, and he would spoon underneath. And if you did not do that, he would continue to paw. And, Paw until he let him in. Now he'll just sleep on the side. I love it. So it's Enzo, me, and my fiance Leslie, and we have a new puppy. We have an English bulldog named Brigsby. Brigsby. Brigsby, right? Who is a bowling ball, and very heavy, (laughs) and could care less that his two brothers are twice his size. We call him the Butler. He runs the house. Yes. So what a pack! You have a good pack. We have a good pack. We all fly together. I love it. So that's good. If you tell them. We're going flying. You cannot do that in the middle of the night because they will come up and bump their nose into you. You told us we're going flying. Let's go. Let's go now. You know we can't tell time, so we don't do that. 
It's a yeah. goal in my life to have an awesome pack like that, a good pack. Okay, we are going to move on to the final three. Uh, best advice you've ever been given? The best advice I've ever been given is do what you can do, and then you can do what you want to do. Mm. And that was given to me by a gentleman named Arthur Jones. One part that we missed in here was I, in between all of this stuff in career-wise, I went to work at Nautilus. Arthur was the inventor of Nautilus yes, I equipment. Used to have, yes, we used to have that workout yeah. equipment, actually. Well, Arthur put the money up, and we built one of the largest television studios in the world down in Lake Helen, Florida, and got to spend a lot of time with him and know him. He's the one that got me into the flying bug 20-some years ago. More than that, 40-some years ago. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and repeat that again. Do what you... Do what you can do, and then you can do what you want to do. Mm, that's good advice. Uh, if you ever left this place, Southern Oregon, what would bring you back here? What would you miss the most? Um, a couple of things. What would I bring back or what would bring me back? What would bring you back here? What would make you say, you know, I really want to go back to Southern Oregon because of... Two things. One, the people. I mean, this has just been a phenomenal experience, not business-wise, but just people and a sense of well-being and comfort. Um, we talked about growing up in Philadelphia where we didn't lock our doors. Mm -hmm. You could walk around. There were mm -hmm. neighbors. Well, we don't live in a row home. We're out in the middle of nowhere. But that same sense that you are safe, you're secure, your neighbor has your back is here. The mm -hmm. second thing is this is an Easterner's dream of winter. <laughs> you need to understand that. The short version of you wake up in the morning, look out and say, ooh, ah, it snowed, it's pretty. And by lunchtime, it's gone. It's gone. And it stays up around the mountain ridge yeah. where I am in the Poconos or anywhere on the East Coast. It just snows, and then it turns to ice, and then it snows again, and then they close everything. Not here. It's terrific. Oh, good. Well, that's great. That's good to hear. Uh, final meal, final drink. If you ever given a, a final meal or final final drink, what would that look like? It would be whatever I craved at the moment. Okay. That's a good answer. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what it would be. Do you have do you have certain cravings for certain foods? Any, especially anything on the East Coast that you can't get out here? No. Um, my diet, for the most part, is vegetarian. Okay. And it used to be Philly cheese steaks. Yeah. For those who are fans, I am a Pat's Inside Out with Cheese guy. Not Gino's, not Del Sandro's, Pat's. Okay. I was curious, actually. Yeah, just so you know. So whatever you would just were craving at the moment. That's what it would be. That would be the perfect answer. That and my second favorite indoor sport, wine. <laughs> yes. So, yes, Stephen Saslow, so much fun. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes and you like it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us. We are also on Google Play, Stitcher, and now you can find us in the Alexa app. Check out the video portion of this podcast at ktvl.com. Just click on Features and then Off Script. One more time, Stephen Saslow, thank you so much. I look forward to the future. Thank you. Thank you.